Hey, so we got a lot of people watching, all right? We got all these campuses. We got all these people watching us online. We got our brothers down in Lyman. So can this big room do me a favor and welcome everybody who's joining us today? I wanna welcome you back to the second week of the series where we're talking about wisdom, all right? For the next couple of weeks, we're parked in the book of Proverbs. It's right there near the middle of your Bible. And Proverbs is a collection of ancient wisdom sayings. All right, we have modern wisdom sayings. That would be stuff like the early bird gets the worm. That's a wisdom saying. Or good things come to those who wait. Or YOLO, bye Felicia, things like that. Uh, These are some of the wisdom sayings of today. Proverbs is a collection of wisdom sayings from the past. But even though Proverbs is ancient, it's still worth paying attention to. And that's because Proverbs was written and collected by a dude named King Solomon. And King Solomon was one of the wisest men to have ever lived. And so the wisdom that you find in Proverbs is timeless, unlike the wisdom we find in our world, which seems to change like on a weekly basis. Proverbs is just this awesome great book, contains all these hundreds of different guidelines for you to gain and attain timeless wisdom. And according to God, we should really, really want wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 says it like this, wisdom is supreme, it's above all things. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Even if it costs you everything you have, get understanding, get wisdom. As a callback to last weekend before we really jump in today, I wanna make sure we're all on the same page when it comes to the biblical definition of wisdom. The biblical definition is this. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. So you and I live in something that's being called the information age. There's nothing that you can't know anymore. You're curious about something, you just Google it, and then two seconds later, you have an answer for it. And so there's this danger that you and I could assume we're being wise because we know a lot of stuff, when in reality, we're being foolish. And that's because wisdom isn't just knowing stuff. Instead, according to Jesus, wisdom is knowing what he says about life and then rightly applying it with your life. Know what Jesus says and then put it into practice. And like Jim talked about last weekend, Jesus actually says that wisdom, his knowledge rightly applied, wisdom is the difference between your life standing and your life falling apart when things get difficult. I believe Jesus on that one. And so I genuinely believe that applying the stuff that we talk about in this series is gonna make the difference for you in your life between hope and despair. This wisdom stuff is a matter of emptiness or fulfillment. It's a matter of isolation or community, lies or truth. And in some really extreme cases, it's a matter of life or death. There's very real, very important stuff at stake here for us when we talk about wisdom. And so let's dig in. All right, I wanna dig in like this. Last weekend, Jim ended by reminding us that we're a church community. We're a community. We need to be taking good care of each other. And so today, I wanna look at this wisdom from the book of Proverbs that tells us how we should be taking care of one another. And I think it's important to listen today because historically speaking, we might need each other now more than ever. And here's why I say that. So in America for the last like 15 to 20 years, we have been walking through something that doctors and social scientists have called the loneliness epidemic. The loneliness epidemic. 
There's been countless studies in research and surveys on loneliness. Two of the bigger studies were done, one by Cigna and one by the BBC, and that's the ones that I'm referencing here. They were done independently of one another. They each surveyed and researched tens of thousands of people who lived all over the world, and they both came to the same results, and the results are alarming. I won't get into the nitty-gritty of all, all the research here. You can look it up on your own if you're interested. But they defined loneliness as the gap between a person's desired social relationships and their actual social relationships. So in other words, I want friends like this, but I have friends like this. The larger the gap, the higher the degree of loneliness. And according to these studies, 61% of Americans are lonely. And that's three out of five Americans who said that they, quote, sometimes or always feel isolated from others and their relationships are not meaningful. That's three out of five. And that's when you include everyone, all ages, all demographics. It gets worse when you zero in on specific generations. That percentage ticks up if you're a millennial. It ticks up even higher if you're Gen Z. Gen Z is by far taking the biggest hit when it comes to loneliness. These studies showed that 79% of Gen Zers are lonely. That's four out of five. Four out of five of our young people who admitted that they, quote, do not have meaningful in-person social interactions on a daily basis. It sounds strange to say, but if you're feeling lonely, you're actually not alone in that. Most of us are feeling lonely. Studies show that you're at higher risk for loneliness if you live in America, if you're American, which most of us are, it gets even higher if you're an American man because men typically just wanna figure this stuff out on their own. And then it goes even higher if you're an American man who's a millennial or younger. And so basically, if you're a man listening to this right now and you're in your early 40s or younger, you should really be leaning in. They found that loneliness is directly tied to actual health risks. Risk of heart attack and stroke goes up. Blood pressure goes up. The risk of suicide goes up. Loneliness increases a person's chance of premature death by up to 50%. I thought this was interesting. Both studies, remember, they're done independently of each other. Both studies unanimously agreed there is a direct link between a person's feeling of loneliness and the amount of time they spend on social media. So the more that you're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, the more likely you are going to feel lonely. And both of these studies are taking guesses and they're like, we guess what we think is going on is that that happens because on social media, people curate their lives. You're only showing the best pictures. You're only sharing the good stuff. And at the same time, social media is viewed as the main source of social connection in our society. And so basically, the main source of social connection is connecting you to fake versions of people, myself included. There's no authenticity, no vulnerability. On social media, people's lives are artificial, and so your interactions with them are superficial. We're living in the loneliness epidemic. And honestly, we don't need a scientific study to tell us that because we feel it. I see this loneliness in the lives of the people around me. I feel it in my own life. I worry about it for my kids. We're, we're disconnected and drifting apart and isolated and lonely. And it's crazy to think about because in other ways, historically speaking, we're more connected than we've ever been. I, I could Skype someone in Africa right now if I wanted to. So we're connected, but we're obviously not connecting. 
And the result is that you and I are living in the loneliest version of humanity that has ever existed. We are trying to survive the loneliness epidemic. And so obviously we would do well to refocus on very real relationships. And thankfully the Bible's got a lot of wisdom on that. First of all, we take our cues from Jesus. And Jesus, when he started his ministry, he immediately found 12 other men, his disciples, to have a relationship with. So even the God of the universe in human flesh, that's Jesus, realized he couldn't go it alone. He's gotta be in community with other people. And then this whole idea of like the importance of real friendship, that concept is found all throughout the Bible. And a lot of times the Bible's definition of a friendship is a lot like we would define friendship. Take this verse from Hebrews as example. It says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some of us are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. When we think of friendship, we think of those things, right? You know, let's cheer each other on and get together regularly and encourage one another. We're down with that. But today, I actually wanna zero in on this unique aspect of friendship that Proverbs says is essential. Proverbs says that wise people will have friendships like this. And unfortunately, it's an aspect of friendship that I'm worried we're losing in modern America. So let's look at it. We're gonna pick up in Proverbs 27.4, and 27.4 goes like this. Anger is cruel. And fury, that word there you can, uh, is like synonymous with resentment or hatred. So resentment is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I wanna start there because in the next two verses, we're gonna talk about friendship and we're gonna hear hard truth. We're not gonna really like it at first. And so this verse is good context for us. Solomon says that anger hurts people and resentment overwhelms people and then jealousy just cuts other people out at the knees. And so a wise person will not let anger or resentment or jealousy overtake them. We have to remember that as we read the next two verses because as difficult as the next two verses might sound, the assumption is that it's not coming from a place of anger, resentment, or jealousy. Okay, now let's talk about friendship. Verse five, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. The word rebuke there means uh, correction, better for someone to correct you. And so this piece of wisdom is telling me that if I'm doing something wrong or if I'm doing something unwise with my life, it would be better for me to some, for someone to openly correct me, like even in front of a group of people. It's better for someone to openly correct me than to say nothing at all and call that love. That's hidden love, purposeless love. And we do this hidden love thing all the time, myself included. Hidden love is this, it's when your friend or your family member does something stupid or something hurtful to others or something harmful to themselves and we just write it off and we go, well, they're crazy, that's just who they are and we write it off. Sometimes we don't write it off. We get very hurt or we get very angry and we stay very hurt but we still don't speak up and address it because we don't want to harm the relationship and so we stay quiet. Wisdom always calls a spade a spade, and wisdom calls that hidden, purposeless love. What is the point? 
hidden love. We tell ourselves that we're loving the other person by staying silent, but really we're just scared of telling them the hard truth or we're worried that they're gonna get mad at us. And so we go into hiding. And the longer we go into hiding, the more our anger builds into resentment and jealousy. And the longer we stay silent, the more damage we do in reality to that relationship. And so Proverbs says, if you're choosing a friend, you should choose someone who's going to openly rebuke you meaning they're going to honestly correct you when you, they think your life is going off the rails. And then the next verse in Proverbs takes this idea to the extreme. This is a verse that jumped off the page at me. If you read Proverbs, this will happen to you. You'll be reading, you're like, I don't understand any of this stuff. And then something will pop off the page at you and it sticks in your head. And this jumped off the page at me years and years ago. I honestly think about this verse probably every single day of my life and I've tried to model my life around it. It's wisdom. This is Proverbs 27, six. It goes like this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That's gold. It's also confusing at first. And so let's break it down. All right, the first part of that, wounds from a friend can be trusted. It's important for us to note what it does not say. All right, it doesn't say wounds from an enemy can be trusted. Enemy is some, someone that you know well and they don't have your best interests in mind and they wanna hurt you. So take wounds like that and ignore them. It also doesn't say wounds from a stranger can be trusted. All right, that's important because in the internet age, there are all kinds of strangers out there who want to wound you. They're called trolls. We gave them a mean name on purpose. <laughs> These are people who don't know who you are. They don't care about you. They don't have your best interests in mind. So they just comment on people's posts and try to hurt you. I have personally several trolls of my own. <laughs> if that's you, your wounds don't hurt. I don't trust them and get a job. <laughs> oh gosh, I was accidentally mean just then. Now I'm trolling, oh no. <clears throat> don't trust wounds from people like that. They're strangers. This also applies to someone who doesn't really know you all that well, but they're still telling you you suck at your job or you suck at being a dad or whatever. This applies to someone flipping you off in traffic. Uh, how about this one? This applies to any like social media feed that's making you feel like a bad mom because you don't have an activity of the day for your kids like they do. Don't let it get to you. All right? Don't get upset that you're not doing like origami on Monday and you know cartwheels on Tuesday and we're learning Cantonese together on Wednesday or whatever. Don't let it get to you. I was talking with a buddy about this very same thing the other day, and he said something great. He goes, uh, as parents, we're not running a cruise ship. We're running a household. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> you can clap at that one. <laughs> we're parents, not entertainers. Don't let that stuff get to you. Those are wounds from a stranger, and they come intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. So there are certain types of wounds that you and I are not supposed to trust, wounds from an enemy and wounds from a stranger. But there's a very specific type of wound that we are told to trust, and it's wounds from a friend. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Proverbs says that a good friend is someone that you absolutely trust. You trust that they have your best interests in mind. You trust that they're not afraid to speak up and tell you some hard truth and that they're not afraid to, the word again, rebuke you, to correct you when you're going off the rails. Proverbs is saying that if you've got a friend that you trust, you also have to trust them when they wound you. 
You need to trust that when they speak up and correct you, they're not doing it out of anger or resentment or jealousy. They're doing it because they love you. But whenever we get corrected, even by a friend or family member that we love and trust, it always hurts. That's why it's called a wound. And typically it wounds our pride and our ego and our desire to be right. Last weekend, Jim said this, he said, throughout the series, we're gonna talk about these little nuggets of wisdom that are gonna threaten your pride. This weekend is no different. And so if a friend that we trust tells us some hard truth, if they correct us, then we have to push through our wounded pride and then actually listen to them. Proverbs is saying that this is a crucial aspect to a real, deep, reliable friendship and relationship. We're supposed to seek out the kinds of friends who have a backbone. They're gonna tell you the hard truth when you need to hear it. And in fact, Proverbs actually says that if a friend of yours is not doing that, they're actually not a friend at all. That's the second part of that proverb. An enemy multiplies kisses. What does that mean? Well, it means that the kind of person who constantly and only tells you you're awesome is a person who is dangerous to you. They're dangerous to your growth. The, the kind of people who do nothing but pat you on the back or they coddle your sensitive, delicate pride and ego because you're always flying off the handle so they have to tiptoe around your sensitivity. It's the yes men of the world, the people who value your feelings over truth. Proverbs says that the people like that might as well be your enemies. The way that they're treating you is equal to hatred. Why? Because they're multiplying kisses. They're telling you everything's fine when it's not. And they're telling you you're doing great when you're not. Proverbs says that that kind of person is an enemy to your growth. They're fun to grab a beer with. Grab a beer with them. They're fun to go to a game with. Go to a game with them. Do not rely on them for your growth. Do not rely on them to speak wisdom and guidance and discernment into your life because frankly, they don't care enough about you to deliver hard truth when you need it. They would much rather selfishly avoid an awkward dinner. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That verse right there from personal experience, when rightly applied in your life, can save you from heartbreaking, boneheaded decisions, can save your marriage or your kids or your career, you name it. When rightly applied, that verse can lead to emotional, spiritual, relational growth. It can take you to the kind of place where 10 years from now, you're like, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Because that verse, when rightly applied, ensures that even in the midst of the loneliness epidemic, you have at least one friend. You have at least one friend who cares enough about your well-being to risk having an awkward conversation with you. Proverbs is saying that a good friend, this is the definition of a good friend, is willing to offend your pride in the short term for the sake of your long-term well-being. And we all need friends like that. Because if you don't have a friend like that, it's up to you. You're all you've got. It's up to yourself to identify pitfalls in your life and try to come up with you know, wise and discerning decisions and, and to try to grow and mature. And I would argue that it's extremely difficult, maybe even impossible, to grow in this life without a friend like that. At the same time, though, I'd be willing to bet, and this applies to everyone who's listening, I think it especially applies to men. I think a lot of us look at this and we go, I don't have a friend like that. I just don't have one. 
So you're trying to figure out these like complex life problems all on your own, like you're going it alone. No wonder self-help is the best-selling genre in books and podcasts right now, because we don't have friends to wound us for our own good. So it's up to you. If anyone's gonna help you, it's gonna be yourself, self-help. We're going it alone. And I'm worried that this going it alone problem isn't gonna go away anytime soon. Because the kind of friend that I'm talking about, one who's willing to offend your pride in the short term for your long-term well-being and good, that kind of friend is gonna be increasingly more difficult to find these days. And that's because when I look at our culture, I see vast, sweeping hypersensitivity. We live in a culture of hypersensitivity. What I mean by that is the greatest offense in our culture is to offend someone. Offending someone is viewed as the worst thing you could possibly do to another human being. In some proposed legislation, offending someone is being put on the level of a hate crime. Now, before I offend you, <laughs> for real, before you click the X at the top of the screen, before you grab your stuff and walk out, would you, let, would you hear me out? All right, let me clarify. That way, if you do storm out and you wanna trash my name, you can trash it accurately, <laughs> all right? Let me clarify. I don't think this is all bad. I don't. I think it's wrong to offend someone just for the sake of being offensive. That's just you being a jerk. <laughs> I almost slipped there. Uh, <laughs> I think we should attempt to care for people by being careful with our words. I'm not saying it's all bad. What I am saying is that this whole focus on not offending other people, I believe has expanded and grown and leaked into other areas of life where it doesn't belong and I think it's harming us. So I think I see this in cancel culture as an example of this. I simply think it's wrong. I think it's wrong to write off an entire human being or an entire organization or institution just because 20 years ago they did something that is now considered offensive. I don't see how that fits with the kind of mercy and forgiveness that Jesus is constantly talking about. If they did something criminal 20 years ago, let's run them through the justice system. If they did something offensive 20 years ago, well, I'm not the same person I used to be 20 years ago. Let's hope that these people have grown and matured in the last two decades. Let's give people the time to grow and mature. I see it in cancel culture. I also see this in the concept of safe spaces. And again, take a breath, all right? I, let me be so clear. I believe it is wrong to be outright hateful to other people. I am a pastor. I follow Jesus. Hatred in my life is technically, theologically unacceptable for my life. You don't know how hateful I can be. <laughs> no. I mean it though, hatred is unacceptable for my life. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean I don't struggle with it, it's unacceptable for my life. I would never encourage that in a million years, right? At the same time, we see safe spaces popping up everywhere, especially on college campuses, and the definition of a safe space is this. It is an environment that is intended to be free of bias, conflict, or criticism in order to protect a person or category of people from emotional harm. And that doesn't make logical sense to me because they're really popular on college campuses and college campuses are supposed to be places where we learn. 
And places where we learn are supposed to be full of competing ideas and ideas are always biased and they're always in conflict with other ideas and they should always be open to criticism. It's defeating the purpose of going to college in the first place. Even worse than that, and this is the real damage in my opinion, the the definition that we just read on the screen, it equates conflict, pay attention to this, it equates conflict and it equates criticism with emotional harm. And so our culture is, is telling people, especially young people, that criticism is emotionally harmful. And if you've been paying attention today, we should be seeing red flags because that is the opposite of what the wisdom of God just told us in Proverbs. Proverbs just, well, you guys are clappy today. Come on, we all got lunch to go to. Did you drink a lot of coffee or something? (laughs) That's okay, I'm fine with it. Where was I? You made me lose my place. I was getting really good. I was onto something. (laughs) All right, we should be seeing red flags. It's the opposite of what we just learned in Proverbs, right? Proverbs told us that a good friend is someone who's willing to risk conflict with us and someone who's willing to criticize and correct us for the sake of our good and well-being. On top of that, Proverbs also just told us that the kind of people who coddle our egos and coddle our pride and coddle our emotions are technically enemies to us. And so I'm getting the feeling you guys already see how this wisdom of God is in direct opposition to the wisdom of the world. Now, we should all, like, let's open our eyes and take a breath. All of us in the room, Christian or not Christian, especially Christians, we should always be careful, diligent observers of our culture. I'm not saying that you have to believe this with me. I'm trying to lay out a problem I see. And the problem is this. The wisdom of God says that a person who corrects you is a good friend. You should hold on dearly to that person. The wisdom of our world says that a person who corrects you is unsafe, they're a danger to you, they're harmful, they're an enemy, and you should cancel them. And the wisdom of God says that an enemy multiplies kisses and tells you what you want to hear. The wisdom of our world has created safe spaces purposely designed for multiplying kisses and hearing what you hear, want to hear. In that regard, the wisdom of our culture and the wisdom of our God are in opposition to one another. And even though I don't believe that our culture is doing this on purpose, I still think it's happening. And what is happening, in my opinion, is that our culture is taking the biblical definition of a good friendship and it's redefining it as emotionally harmful and hateful. And we wonder why we're living in the loneliness epidemic. And we wonder why it's hitting Gen Z the hardest. Could it be because our culture is naming a friend an enemy and it's naming an enemy a friend? Now you guys are clappy and that's fine. At the same, oh gosh. <laughs> guys, let's get, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> I also am not dumb, all right? I, I know that there are people sitting in here that uh, they don't like this and it's making you feel uncomfortable and that's okay. All right, I, I wanna bring up something Jim said last weekend. I think it's absolutely gold. I think it's one of the best things he said in a long time. I would like to get it tattooed on my face. <laughs> he said, Jesus did not, this is true. Jesus did not come into the world so that we could feel better. Jesus came into the world so that we could actually be better, like we could be transformed and turned into new creations. And according to the wisdom of God, a good friend, not a bad one, a good friend, 
is willing to offend your pride in the short term for the sake of your long-term well-being. And in the midst of the loneliness epidemic, I think we would all do well to find friends like that. So remember, the definition of wisdom. What is it? It's knowledge rightly applied. You have to apply it. It's not enough. It's not enough to just know that that's what God says a good friend is like. We have to go out and find them. We need the kind of friends who will risk confrontation with us in order to speak some hard truth into our lives. We need friends who will wound us for our own good. But Ben, I don't know, that sounds dangerous. Of course it's dangerous. I just believe it is less dangerous than you trying to figure out marriage or parenting, your career, school, dating, your addiction, your depression, you name it. I believe it's less dangerous than you trying to figure that stuff out all on your own in isolation. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. (laughs) You're right in there somewhere. Someone right over here is getting us started every time. (laughs) Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Now, we would be dumb to not be paying attention to the fact that wounds hurt and they're dangerous. But if they're coming from a friend that cares about you and loves you and has your best interests in mind, then that kind of pain always leads to growth. And in fact, that kind of pain is something technically we're supposed to be looking for. King David says it like this in the Old Testament. He says, let a righteous man, so not an enemy, not a stranger, a righteous man, someone who's following God, he's wise, he's discerning, and he's right. Let a righteous man strike me. I view that as a kindness. Let him rebuke me, let him correct me. It's like anointing oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. David is literally asking for it in this verse. He's asking for a good friend to wound him, and I think we should do the same. The way I see it, there are two options on the table right now, right? The first option is to live a life where you're not offended, but you have a higher risk of staying stuck and being lonely. The other option is to live a life where you let a very select few people offend you for your own good, and you have a higher chance of growing and maturing and experiencing deep friendship. And faith is choosing the option on the table that you believe will have the best outcome for your life. So which one of those sounds better? Which one do you wanna put your faith in? For me personally, I trust the wisdom of Proverbs. I trust the wisdom of my God. I've put my faith in the idea that wounds from a friend can be trusted. And in fact, this is just me personally, if I didn't start cultivating friendships like that years and years ago, I can tell you I definitely wouldn't be a pastor right now I'd honestly, this is being very honest, I'm not entirely positive I would be alive. The wounds that my friends have given me have led to life-saving, life-changing growth in my life. Personally, I'm never going back. I'm never going back to that mindset that I used to have where a good friend is someone who's just stays surface level with you and you got no arguments or disagreements and you have all the exact same interests and you just hang out and have a good time and encourage one another. I'm never going back to that because I have discovered that I need friends who care enough about me to deliver some hard truth and suffer through the awkward conversation for my own good. And if you feel like you need the same thing, then I would challenge you to find a dangerous friend. 
What I mean by that is find someone who is willing to offend your pride in the short term for the sake of your long-term well-being. Find someone who's willing to risk your feelings for the sake of truth, not out of anger or resentment or jealousy, but out of a deep desire to watch you grow and mature. We've, we've said this in the series uh, for two weeks now, and it's, it's just true. We're gonna be dealing with stuff that is very real and very important. Today, the wisdom from today in Proverbs is a matter of loneliness or true friendship. And let's be honest, for a lot of us, if we play this loneliness thing out to its final conclusion, we know it is a matter of life or death. Find a dangerous friend. How, how do I do that? Well, let me give us a a couple ideas for how to do that and then we'll pray and we'll get out of here, all right? The first one is this, as I talk about this kind of friendship, for a lot of us, we've got names in our head, right? We We got someone we're thinking of and we're like, yeah, that person loves me. I think that person has my best interests in mind. Maybe you're even vulnerable with them like here and there, not all the time, but here and there. And you trust that they've got some wisdom to offer you. If you've got a name in your head, I would tell you this, call them, like, today. Tell them what you learned about here in church and tell them they have permission to wound you for your own good. Just like King David, sometimes you got to go asking for it. A lot of our friends, they don't know if they have the permission to speak like that in your life. So give them the permission. Do it like in the car while you're driving away from this place before you lose the courage. For others of us, I'm talking about friendship and you have no names in your head. That's okay. Don't spiral. Right? Get involved here. The most important thing we do at Flatirons Community Church is not what I'm doing right now. It's not what we do on the weekend. The most important thing we do as a church is we connect people to each other. Like you can get on our website and volunteer for one of our like billion different ministries we have here and you'll meet people overnight. You can get online and sign up for a small group and meet people overnight. You can join a group based on your age, based on where you live, based on what the group is talking about, you name it. If you feel like you don't have that person in your life, get on our website and get involved with us today. You don't have to do this life alone. Get involved. Like, again, do it. Like, when I say amen before you leave, pull out your phone and just get signed up before you lose the courage. And then one more idea for finding a a dangerous friend. So I used to lead the middle school and high school ministry here at Flatirons. I still have a heart for any of you who are students and you're in middle school or you're in high school. Uh, Like, first of all, you're just like way more fun to hang out with than people my age. Also, you've got your whole life ahead of you, right? You're like laying the groundwork right now for how your life is gonna turn out. I loved walking through that with you. If you're in middle school or high school, I'm gonna talk to you like you're your age right now, so I want you to listen to me. I want you to remember how I talked about loneliness at the beginning of this thing. I want you to remember how it's mostly affecting your generation. And I want to strongly encourage you to fight off that loneliness by finding the kind of friendships that we've been talking about in here. And right now is the perfect time to do that because just a few days ago, our student ministry opened up registration for summer camp. All right, I used to run camps, they're a blast. Parents, those QR codes down there, you can scan them for more information. This is all on our website. Middle school camp is in June, high school camp is in July. We have scholarships available, it's a blast. There is no reason for you to miss it. For my middle schoolers and my high schoolers in the room right now, don't miss that. 
Don't. I've run camps in the past, so I can promise you, at the very least, you'll have an absolute blast. I can also guarantee you that you will meet some adult leaders and some new friends who can help you navigate how difficult this part of your life is. That's something that people my age don't give you credit for enough. This part of your life is very difficult. You're gonna meet adults and other friends who understand that, and they're gonna walk through it with you. And in light of what we talked about last weekend, if you were here, in light of what we're walking through as a church family, or maybe you went to Ellie Joe's memorial on Friday, <clears throat> in light of that, I'm telling you, I'm not making an empty promise right now. I promise you, you don't have to go through this life alone. Get involved in student ministry and go to camp. Flatirons, find a dangerous friend someone who is willing to risk offending your pride in the short term for the sake of your long-term well-being, it will make the difference between you caving into the loneliness epidemic or you finding true friendship and get after it today before you lose the courage. And so I'm gonna pray and then when I say amen, we're not singing or anything. Again, because I want you to do this now before you lose the courage. I'm gonna say amen. You're gonna pull your phones out. You're gonna get signed up to volunteer or signed up for small groups or registered for camp or you're gonna call that buddy of yours and tell him or her that they have the permission to wound you for your own good. We're gonna do that before we lose the courage and then we're gonna come back in here next week and see what God has in store for us. Let's pray. So God, one of the names that you give yourself, one of the ways that you describe yourself is as our friend. And you're the ultimate friend. You're you're the friend in all the ways that we already imagine friendship. Like you encourage us, you're on our side. Like you're for us and not against us. And when we suffer, you suffer with us. And when we rejoice, you rejoice with us. You are also a friend as wisdom describes it in the book of Proverbs, you lovingly correct us, you rebuke us, you put us right back onto the right path when we're going off the rails. God, what we're asking for is just a little bit of wisdom and discernment right now to find the kind of friends who can mimic you in that way for our lives. God, we're asking for the wisdom and discernment to become the kind of friends who can mimic you in that way. God, please help us to become better friends. Please help us to find real friends. God, please help us to grow deep in relationship with other people in the middle of this loneliness epidemic. God, I love you very much. I'm thankful for this room and these people and everyone watching online. God, I'm thankful for this moment right now. God, would you please help us to become good friends and find good friends? And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our ultimate friend. It's in his name that I pray, amen. Flatirons, I love you. Have a good weekend.